0: Thank you. I'd like to talk about the music of John Coltrane today, but specifically a period from about 1957 to 1960 or 61, which is an important transitional period in his life and his music. In 1957, he recorded a record called Blue Train, which was not his first record as a leader, but probably his first important record as a leader. And I'd like to trace the development from that record through giant steps, through My Favorite Things, into about 1961 or 62 with the famous quartet with Elvin Jones and Jimmy Garrison and McCoy Tyner. Now, when you look at John Coltrane's music and his saxophone playing, it's really in a hard bop style. In the early 50s, he was a contemporary of Harold Land, Hank Mobley, Sonny Rollins, He really came to prominence in Miles Davis' first great quintet in, in 1955. But while he was with Miles Davis, he was also recording records under his own name. The first really important record under his own name was entitled Blue Train. One of the things about John Coltrane, he was infatuated with harmony and he was constantly practicing. There's an old joke that said if you drove by John Coltrane's house and the light was on, he was practicing. If the light was off, he was a sleeper He was on the road. Here's a man who was constantly honing his craft and practicing and experimenting and writing new kinds of um complex harmonic progressions. But let's look at this 1957 recording of Blue Train, and one of the most important songs on this record is a composition of his entitled Moments Notice. Let's give this a little bit of a short listen, and then we're going to talk about this. Without getting into too much depth, John Coltrane's playing exhibits terrific technique. I mean, he could really play the horn. He was very interested in complex harmonies. In other words, the way one chord would move to the next in a very unusual and sometimes unpredictable manner made his music and his compositions quite unique. On that song, Moments Notice, the progression moves very quickly and it moves into some unusual tonal centers. The song is very difficult to play and he sails through it with the greatest of ease because he has been practicing and working on these unusual progressions. This is a wonderful recording. I, I suggest anybody who has a John Coltrane collection or is interested in Train's music needs to definitely have this record, Blue Train. The next really important record comes out in 1959, and that's his album Giant Steps. Now remember, all during this period he's recording and performing with the Miles Davis Quintet, but he's also working on his own projects. Giant Steps is probably the culmination of the hard bop style of composition that uses very complicated chord progressions. Giant Steps itself is a very short song, it's 16 measures, but it's a very treacherous piece. Coltrane had been experimenting with harmonies, trying different approaches. And if you're any you know anything about harmony, this particular song moves what we call major third relationships. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. It just means it's really hard and very complicated. Coltrane had been practicing this progression for about a year before he went into the recording studio and recorded this piece. A very interesting anecdote is that he hires a good friend of his, Tommy Flanagan, who's also from Philadelphia, to play on the record, which was common in those days. They would go to a recording studio, he'd hand out the music that afternoon or maybe a day before, they'd kind of run through it and then record the songs. Flanagan thought that the song was much slower and also had never seen anything quite as complicated. And when you listen to the recording, John Coltrane sails through it. I mean, it's unbelievable the way he negotiates these chord changes. And when you hear Tommy Flanagan play, you can hear Tommy is not used to playing these kinds of progressions. The bottom line is that when you play Giant Steps and some of the other compositions that exhibit this complexity, unless you're used to playing songs that move like this, they're virtually impossible to play. I remember hearing this song for the first time And I was elated and overjoyed, and at the same time, I was kind of scared and depressed because I thought, oh my gosh, how can this man play so easily and effortlessly through this progression? And I was also thinking, well, at some point, I'm going to have to learn how to play through that song also. Coltrane's sound is muscular. He doesn't use very much vibrato when he plays up-tempo songs. And his technique is impeccable. The sense of time, the way he executes his notes is superb. Giant Steps, the album, is important for a number of great compositions. The ballad Naima portends the future of John Coltrane's music in certain ways. The way the bass player plays pedal point, the complicated harmony encircles the pedal point of the bass. The bass player on Naima only plays one note. He keeps repeating D-flat. When you get into Coltrane's later music, pedal point is really, really important. The same year, 1959, Coltrane records with Miles Davis on the very, very important record, Kind of Blue. Kind of Blue ushers in a new approach to jazz, a modal approach, where just the opposite takes place. Instead of complicated chord progressions like giant steps on so what... Miles Davis throws out all the harmony. He replaces it with a very, very simple harmonic palette. This gives John Coltrane tremendous flexibility to move in any direction that he wants to. We have two approaches to music 180 degrees away from each other. This is a period in John Coltrane's life where he's going to have to choose one or the other. With the complexity, he'd already reached the apex of harmonic complexity. And the next direction to go is in simplicity. The first record he recorded with his great quartet is called My Favorite Things. And it was a confusing record for a lot of people because here's John Coltrane, who is a great hard bop tenor player. And on this particular record, he's playing very long solos and really moving in a very experimental direction. He's also playing an instrument that's not new to jazz but was new to jazz in the nineteen fifties and sixties. He's playing a soprano saxophone and which explores the higher register of the saxophone. He's moving in the direction of modal music where the harmonic complexity is greatly reduced and it's it really comes out of the Miles Davis' kinda blue record. Also, on that record, he records George Gershwin's But Not For Me, which is a standard song recorded by many jazz instrumentalists. But what makes this particular version so unusual is that what Coltrane does is he replaces the original harmony written by Gershwin and inserts the harmony from giant steps. Jazz musicians in the 40s often would take a song that already existed, strip off the melody, keep the harmony, and replace it with a new melody. John Coltrane is doing just the opposite. He's keeping the melody intact, but he's changing the underlying harmony. And if you listen to Giant Steps and then listen to this recording of Banoffron, you can hear the same harmonic movement. Let's give this a listen. Coy Tyner, the pianist, is developing a new way to voice chords, something we call chordal voicing. And what he does is he takes the traditional chord voicings of, say, a Bill Evans or Bud Powell, and he stretches them out over the keyboard. And what that does, it gives John Coltrane way more freedom. And that's what John Coltrane needed. Also, the drummer... Elvin Jones is developing a, what I call a global approach to the drums, where he's not implicitly stating the time in a traditional manner that you heard in the 50s, In where it's a hi-hat on two and four and a ride cymbal. Elvin is breaking up the time over the entire drum set, stating the time, but not implicitly. A lot of the music that Coltrane records post-1960 is in 3, 4, or 6, 8 time, and it's almost hypnotic. At this time, John Coltrane has been studying music from other cultures, from India, from Africa, from South America, the Caribbean, and all these things are creeping into his music. He was very interested in philosophy and religion, and his music is taking on a very spiritual quality. The changes in jazz in the early 1960s are coming at an astronomical rate. The impact of Ornette Coleman's music from 1959 and 60 is being felt by John Coltrane, who is moving in the area in the direction of what we call free jazz, where there's very little harmonic underpinning to the music, and the instrumentalists can move in any direction they want. If I can make one analogy, playing giant steps is like in football practice when the players have to jump through tires on the field. But just imagine you're having to run through an obstacle course of car tires, but you have ankle weights on, it's 110 degrees in the shade, and your hair is on fire and a pit bull terrier is chasing you. That's how difficult it is to play giant steps. On the other hand, the modal approach that John Coltrane has played on, my favorite thing would be like taking a sailboat on a beautiful lake and you can move in any direction you want and just about anything you play is going to sound good if you have the right combination of musicians. So we moved from high degree of structure to throwing the structure away and that's what Coltrane needed. He needed to move away from structure because he had mastered everything that could be done with it. And the next direction is to start taking the structure away from the music. The music takes on this great spirituality. And I firmly believe that if John Coltrane were alive today or had he lived a lot longer than 1967, he wouldn't be playing jazz as we know it. I believe he'd be playing a wooden flute on a mountaintop somewhere in Nepal wearing a loincloth, levitating, because that's the kind of... Sound that's portrayed that he is conveying with his later recordings, but that's something for another program. Mm-hmm.